0: Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices.
1: Good morning and welcome to 3CR's Spoken Word. My name is Ella Fenelska and my guest in the studio today is Gaylene Carbis. Gaylene is an award-winning writer whose poetry, prose and plays have been published and performed in Australia and overseas, including recently in the Georgetown Festival in Penang and the Shaipur Festival in India. In Melbourne last year, she had two plays open on the same night, a musical at Melbourne Spiegel Tent and a play at 45 Downstairs. Gaylene was awarded a writing scholarship at the Banff Centre in Canada and read her work in New York and Canada in 2012. She was shortlisted for the Montreal International Poetry Prize in 2015, $50,000 for a single poem. She didn't win, so she's still poor. She was also recently shortlisted for Fish International Prizes Ireland in poetry, memoir and short story. The Age Short Story Award, the Australian Book Review Short Story Prize, Work and Tumblr's Poetry Chapbook Award and the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Award. Gaylene teaches creative writing at various universities and has been nominated for a Teaching Excellence Award. She won Best Funny Poem at Melbourne Poets Union Comedy Festival last year. Gaylene achieved first-class honours in her MA in writing for performance at VCA and is thinking about doing a PhD. If only she could come up with a topic and a decision about whether to write a novel or a memoir. Gaylene's new one-woman show will be performed by Clara Pagoni in New York and possibly Chicago and Melbourne in 2017. And last but not least, in 2017, her first book of poetry, Anecdotal Evidence, will be published by Five Islands Press. Welcome to the program, Gaylene.
2: Thank you, Ella. It's lovely to see you again so soon.
1: It's so (laughs) lovely to have you finally in the studios with me. Thank Thank you for that. And what an impressive introduction. My gosh, super, super impressive. (laughs) Now, let's get straight into a poem.
2: I'll begin with a poem that is relevant for this time of year. It's called Graven Images. My mother was born in Earl Street, Windsor, and I was born in Earl Street, Windsor, and my mother went to St. Mary's in St. Kilda, and I went to St. Mary's in St. Kilda, and my mother idolised the nuns, and I idealised them, and my mother played Connie Francis. The bells of St. Mary's are here, they are calling. Singing with our stereo as she scrubbed the floors on her hands and knees, humming and singing and telling stories of how I could sing before I could speak. And when we moved away from Windsor and away from my mother's mother, and I went to St Kevin's in Ormond, my mother bought a holy picture for the lounge room and it was one of those long ones of the Virgin Mary with her outstretched arms to take us in. And the Virgin Mary got mixed up in my head with a poem I wrote and my mother put it up and it was called Mary Queen of the Stars or was it Queen of the Night? And it had gold stars and glitter all over it and my mother's brother still living at home in Earl Street playing starry starry night picture palette blue and grey and the carpenters so they sprinkled moon dust in your hair, and golden starlight in your eyes of blue. And the holy picture, and the starry, starry night, and being close, and spirit of God in the clear running water. And other hymns we learnt at school were all mine, and I was filled with light and love. But one day I came home to that new house to find my father had put a photograph of Alex Geselenko taking a mark into the frame where Mary had been and was now framing the religion my father and all his family worshipped. And my father recognised my aesthetic, spiritual, artistic leanings And he pointed out to me how Giselenko had the grace and strength and beauty of ballet. And we both looked up at Alex Gisolenko as my father marveled at this moment where Giselenko made his mark six feet high in the air in the sky as if he were flying like a god. But I never forgot the Virgin Mary being covered over by a footballer. And I never forgave football.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That's so fantastic. Do you think that um, there can be a nice combination between football and poetry, particularly in Melbourne?
2: (laughs) Well, there is that book that has been recently published by Nicole Hayes and Alicia sometimes, which they edited, um, which I haven't read yet, um, but I will, my brother says I would like it, um, and surprisingly, though I am not a football supporter, I've written a few football poems. Well, there
1: you go. Even not being a football supporter, and it's still coming in. Uh,
2: <laughs> just... <laughs> yes, can't escape it in Melbourne. <laughs> Currently, not.
1: <laughs> this um, leads on to, um, it was great in the very first poem that we've shared with our listeners um, that you bring song into your performance and this is quite a striking element to your performance. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspires you to do that?
2: Well, I have loved singing ever since I was two years old or earlier. <laughs> so for me, singing comes naturally it's a it's something natural that i include in poems so i didn't set out to sing per se it's just that when i wrote poems part of the story would include references to songs and song lyrics and then when i got in front of a photo a uh, uh, microphone it seemed natural to burst into song as if I was in a musical or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's it's just a, something that came naturally, I think. Yeah, something I really appreciate about your work. Oh, thank yeah, you. I thank know. you very much. Um, I think also that I like to, now that it's become more conscious, I like to include songs. I think it breaks up a poem and it gives the listener something else to connect with and because singing is so much about the heart and soul and body, voice is embodied so thus when you sing you're revealing a part of yourself that's real and raw and a bit vulnerable because you never know whether you're going to hit the notes and you don't always hit the notes. But that I don't care about that, I don't mind that because I think it's very authentic voice and that's what... I like about including
1: songs perfectly put absolutely, and I think that all those elements really apply to poetry as well, that being you know vulnerable and really giving of your inner voice, yes exactly, yeah um with even in this piece a lot a lot of your poetry is it has a lot of really heartwarming humor, mm-hmm. but then also something quite serious and and sometimes sad to say, it's like a kind of tragedy comedy like genre. Can, uh-huh. you, can you say <laughs> a little bit about that without revealing too much?
2: <laughs> well, I suppose that um, I like to have a balance in my work, and um, that's not always possible. What comes out comes out, um, but. I think that's, that's life. Life is full of the light and the dark and sometimes more of one or the other. And I think my poems reflect that.
1: And on that note, Galen will now read her poem, Audrey Hepburn and I Consider
2: Our Assets. Audrey Hepburn and I consider our assets. I cook my elbows at my table, angling out like a chicken, with the bones bared and bent, and all for breasts. Bigger than my bottom, they divide me from my desk. I keep them cupped up in seamless bras to pretend I'm flowing when I'm spilling out. These cups are lavish lumps of flesh, "'that can't be contained by Burley. "'I would have liked to have burnt my bra "'and carried signs in streets about the compression of my body "'in man-made clothes, "'but the truth is my breasts are too heavy "'and have to be held up "'or else I'd be floppy as a rabbit "'dragged around the house by a two-year-old, "'my nipples falling off like buttons do for eyes.' As a teenage girl, I tried to tape them down, the way they did with Judy, her strange flat bosom almost bursting through her pinafore as she skipped off along the yellow brick road. I had no tape, only cunning. I was careful and went around asking my brother, ''Do you think I look busty in this?'' I spent my adolescence in disguise, I didn't want to be opulent like a Chinese opera or overdone like Pavlova. But aunts would come and undo my top button and cry, when you've got them, flaunt 'em," flaunt em and admire my figure telling me I looked like Sophia Loren. When I wanted to be Audrey Hepburn singing, spring is busting out all over. In my own voice. Oh,
1: Gaylene, thank you for that. Um, We had um, some private conversations about this poem. Um, I can relate in this kind of tragedy comedy way now. I think like being a woman now and comfortable with my own body, um, I can laugh about it, but uh, that sort of... um, pubescent time, I was considered probably busty. And um, yeah, lots of just very uncomfortable situations and um, can relate to that quite, quite well. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you want to add to um, to that?
2: Well, it surprised me when I took that poem into a girls' school during my first teaching rounds. And I took the poem into my two year 10 English classes and the students took the poem so seriously and by that time I knew that the poem was funny when I first wrote it. I didn't realise it was funny until I read it and had the experience of the reactions of an audience. And that's when I saw the humour in it. But the reactions of the the girls in the English classes and taking it so seriously really brought it home to me as a novice teacher Of course, it's not all about you and what you're doing at the front or what you're doing in the classroom. It's about the students and where they're at and where they're coming from and their perspective. But teaching rounds are so terrifying that I remember thinking midway through my first teaching rounds that if I survive this, I can survive anything.
3: (laughs) You are
1: so, so right. Being a fellow teacher, I remember my teaching rounds too. And I think that it's probably the most terrifying, gruelling, testing part of your teaching career, essentially.
2: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Though there are other challenges that happen along the way.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. This is very true. Maybe it's deliberately like this to see if you can, you know, Get through it, and if you can, then you know you're you're um you kind of teacher ready. (laughs) Yes. Um. But yeah, leading on from this, actually, um, I wanted to ask you because this is how I came to know you. Is that I, during my um uni days, I did a little short course at Monash Short Courses with a poet I did not know, um, who ran a little course, and it was fabulous. And um, I wanted to ask you, do you? Think that poetry, well, writing poetry rather, I think poetry appreciation certainly, but writing poetry can be taught. Do you think poets can be taught or are they born? Can they be made? Can they be
2: improved, enhanced?
1: What are your (laughs) thoughts about this?
2: I don't know about poets being made. I think that there has to be a poetic sensibility or a poetic ability or talent there. But I do think you can encourage and light a poetic spark. And I think that you don't always know where that might lead. So I don't know about teaching someone to become a poet, although I think people obviously can move from one genre into another or other genres into poetry. And you can certainly nurture that and guide that and mentor that. Um, but I also think it depends on what the individual poet is looking for in the wide poetry world and the aesthetics of the poetry teacher, because poets are looking to speak to very different audiences. I have a friend, for instance, who writes poems on Facebooks about, say, the death of her mother, And she's not what would be called in Poetry with a capital P a poet or a great poet even, but she writes from the heart and she touches the audience that she's communicating to. So I think she's a lovely and wonderful poet.
0: I could skate away on I wish I had a river so
3: skate away on. I'm so Shy at a river, I could skate. escape.
1: You're listening to 3CR's Spoken Word and you're joining me, Ella Fenelska, and my guest in the studio today, Gaylene Carbus. We just heard a beautiful track um, by Madalena Peru with Katie Lang and their rendition of Joni Mitchell's River. Gaylene will now read us a poem which has been uh, shortlisted many times in quite impressive places, including the Montreal International Poetry Prize.
2: Father is in insurance and out most nights. In my father's car, parked outside the commission flats in Surrey Road, South Yarra, where my mother's best friend lives, My brother is beeping the horn, but I don't think it blasts all the way to the eleventh floor. That hand on the horn is the only thing that can flush my father's face. We wait and wait. The pitch of night surrounds us like an island. In green trees and dark bushes, the hood of the car is as mysterious as undergrowth. What's he doing? Boredom descends on us with the darkness and we see the moon like a trimmed fingernail that seems to smile. Its light comes slanting through the windscreen dimly and I am dumb with knowledge I cannot name. My mother waits for the three of us, our dinner cold and the lights out to save on bills. We end up paying anyway.
1: Oh, that poem. I often talk about um, how love how poetry has the power to just grab you by the throat, but that one, like, punches you in the throat in a tragically but poetically good way. Gayleen, could you please read one final poem for us?
2: Thank you. I'd love to. I often write poems in response to paintings and other poems and literary texts, so here's one of those. It's called The Bride Who Became Frightened When She Saw Life Opened, after a painting by Frida Kahlo. She hasn't read a book in seven years, he doesn't like the light on. If she gets in before him, he says nothing. She could read all night, but the thing is, he's in bed by nine every night. Every night she has something to do. She folds their washing in three piles on the kitchen bench, and once he's passing through and it's on his way, so she asks him to take one pile, the kids' clothes, put them on the bed. That's all she asks. He wouldn't have to open a cupboard or a drawer, but he refuses. Another time, she's peeling potatoes and stacking dishes and showing Anya how to tie a shoelace in a double knot. She asks him to take the rubbish out, but he says no. Why should he? She's closer to the door. And she says, for the first time ever, about anyone, I hate you, to the window, as if she's talking to herself or talking about the weather, and she goes back to peeling the potatoes.
1: So, tell us about this upcoming release that's coming out next year.
2: Well, as you said in my bio, it's called Anecdotal Evidence, And it will be published in June next year. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be published by Five Islands Press. Very impressive. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're a great team, really fantastic team of editors and Kevin Brophy and Katia Ariel and Eddie Patterson, amazing team.
1: And is it like a representative collection of your work or is it newer work?
2: It includes some of the poems that I read today. So it's quite a mixture of my older poems and some newer work. And I've been working on the collection for quite a long period of time. And it was going to the Banff Centre with the writing studio poetry residency that really galvanised me into putting the manuscript together. And subsequent to that, I worked on it hard again, and I had Alex Scovron and Lisa Jacobson both read the manuscript and give me feedback on it.
1: Oh, wow. So it sounds like it's going to be a really solid um, collection.
2: <laughs> <Can't wait. laughs> I hope so. Yeah, can't <laughs> wait. It's
1: going to be really good. Very briefly, the experience of um, working on it overseas, mm. would, would, did that have a really different feel for you as opposed to writing in Melbourne?
2: Oh, absolutely, because I had five weeks just to work on the manuscript. So it was very intense. Mm. And Banff is this vibrant hub of creativity. And while you're there, you have three poet mentors. So I had three major Canadian poets, all of whom were very different, read my emerging manuscript And give me feedback on it. So it was an amazing experience.
1: Mm, What a privilege. It would have been incredible. It was. Mm. So keep an ear out for that one, dear listeners, the launch of Anecdotal Evidence next year. I would just like to thank Gayleen Carbis for being my guest today. She was phenomenal, and I could have easily had her in the studio for another whole um, session, and we may do that uh, next year at some stage. Thank you for listening to 3CR's Spoken Word. My name is Ella Fenelska. You can catch us every Thursday at 9am, so please do tune in, and I look forward to your company next month.